The electric chair. I just want to fit in. Welcome to The Electric Chair. My name is Midnight Corey, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you for listening. I'm here to entertain you, and I'm glad to be here. By the way, going to have a lot of fun this week. I talked with two great people. I'm going to have two awesome podcasters, fellow podcasters on. Um, first of all, I'm going to have Brian Wolford, drunken zombie, filmmaker, great guy. Uh, he comes on, and we talk about American Psycho from 2000. So that's exciting. And it really was. It was a lot of fun. Brian's a great guy. Uh, second of all... Oh, Misfit Boy comes back on the show with me, and we talk about the highly anticipated Wreck 3 Genesis. Oh, yes, yes. Everybody's been wondering. So, we're going to talk about that, Misfit Boy. Had a great time, great guy, and uh, I'm so excited you'll be able to hear all of that. But... Before we get to all this, just want to remind you, uh, I am part, the electric chair and the electric chair 2D uh, are both part of the Horror Podcasting Alliance at horrorpodcastingalliance.blogspot.com. So definitely go there, check everything out. A lot of great shows on there. Uh, we are also on Stitcher Smart Radio, which is a great app for listening to podcasts on your uh, phone, your, uh, your tablet, whatever. So yeah, go to stitcher.com. The electric chair is on there. Um, I am also part of Spookshow.tv, the video, Electric Chair 2D, is part of Spookshow.tv, which is awesome. Uh, you should definitely check that out, and I'm, I'm just very, very proud to be part of that. Um, and no video episode, though, this week, um, because they take a lot of work. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm shooting to have one up next week. Hopefully that'll be episode three, um, but we'll see. We'll see. I definitely have things lined up, and it could happen, so it's, you know whatever. Um, so uh, let's get on to some stuff. Oh, oh, first of all, how about this? Just a few days ago, Michael Graves, guy that, uh, you know, I really enjoy going out to see and uh, just saw him in Cleveland here. Michael Graves, he's touring right now on the War of Information tour, and he got busted in Texas for holding weed, which is a shame. I I'm, I'm actually really sad about that. Consequently, he missed a show in El Paso, so he had to cancel or it was just a no-show or whatever. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, that was a real bummer. He's hoping to make that up, but uh, we'll see. He is torn like a madman right now, and um, you, you can maybe hear my son in the background. He's actually just waking up, so I'm going to make this second quick. Um, yeah, let's see. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was bummed about Michael. Um, I have a voicemail line, of course, 206-337-5096, and I got a voicemail this week, which was great. But before I go to that voicemail, um, before that voicemail came in, I got an email through the website from my friend Mike Zombie. Mike Zombie, of course, from a Little Dead podcast. He wrote in, and he was very kind. Very kind. Uh, he said, I'm loving the show, Corey. I haven't caught them all yet, but I'm working on catching up. Fantastic work, as always. I've always admired your technique and approach. It creates a welcoming feeling. Uh, you've always been my go-to guy. Example, when a friend or family asks me, podcasts can't possibly sound professional, can they? Ah, oh, cheers, Mike Zombie. Mike, it was great to hear from you, man. And it's very flattering, the things that you're saying. I, I, I am far from professional, I think. I'm just having a good time. Just doing whatever it is that I do. 
So, uh, but uh, dude, you do great work uh, over there on a Little Dead podcast. All the zombie movie reviews you've turned me on to a lot, and and we just line up so well on stuff. And I hope to have you on the show at some point, my friend. So, Mike Zombie, definitely check him out at uh, Little Dead podcast. Um, now, the voicemail that I got was from Jamie from Viscera, Devour the Podcast, uh, Evil Episodes, and uh, let's listen to hers. Hi, Corey, it's Jamie. Um, I am just now getting caught up on all my shows since Viscera, and I wanted to tell you how much I'm loving the video addition to your show. Um, yeah, it, you just continue to get better and better. Uh, forgive my my husky voice here. I've also come down with something since I got back from Viscera, so I've been quite busy. Um, hope to talk to you soon. Keep up the great work, and uh, stay yummy. Bye. Jamie, you are so sweet and so kind. Thank you. Thank you. We got very encouraging words there because a lot goes into the video thing, as you know, and and uh, so yeah, I hope people just enjoy it because it's it is a lot of fun for me, even though it is a lot of work. But uh, I hope that uh, you're feeling better. That I know Viscera, you know, the film festival just takes a lot out of you, and so yeah, probably coming down with something because you're just so so exhausted. But I heard that everything went uh, really really great. So um, congratulations on that. And I uh, hope to hear from you again and talk with you again on the show and do all that fun stuff. So awesome. But uh, go check out Devour the Podcast and Evil Episodes. Uh, fantastic stuff. And Viscera as well, if you haven't checked it out already. It's a great place. So, all right. Enough of that. Let's, uh, let's get on to speaking with Mr. Wolford. Philip, I have seen enough. These drugs are going down the drain. Oh, okay, here's the truth. We... Died in a car crash and voodoo ashes turned us into zombies. That stuff there can change us back into normal human beings. That's it? No. That's the stupidest excuse I've ever heard. Kiss your drugs goodbye, junkies. Tonight, I'm sitting down here with a fellow podcaster, great guy. You've heard him before on the show. I welcome once again to the electric chair, Brian Wolford. Brian, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, what's going on? Oh, same old thing, man. Podcasting like crazy you know and uh how about you what you been up to uh i wish i could say podcasting like crazy but for some <laughs> reason we end up taking breaks for no reason whatsoever and uh then it's like wow we haven't done an episode in like three weeks yeah yeah well you need that i mean it just there's so much yeah. especially during the summer i don't know if, you, if you're the same as me but the summer just gets so crazy you know with so many family things going on and you go on vacation and stuff happens and work gets crazy for me so you know, you got to have that. So, oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but uh, yeah, you're uh, you're definitely busy starting up a video show too. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me and why I just keep like loading <laughs> myself up with all this stuff. But no, it's a lot of fun because um, I, you know, I do I do video stuff as part of my profession, and so I have like all this stuff, all these cameras and all the editing stuff, and so I'm like, well, I might as well be using it like for something fun. Because, you know, the whole rest of the time I'm using that stuff, it's for work. And uh, it's not that I don't have fun with it, but I'm like, yeah, I ought to do something. And so I thought I'd experiment for a while and just have fun with it, you know. So, but video yeah. is a hell of a lot of work. And you, oh, I mean, you yeah. know as, as well as I do. It's, say that's why we don't do video episodes anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. But, you know, it's I, I've kind of safeguarded myself upon release you know, a launch of the video thing. And I'm like, well, it's going to come out as I can do it. So, you know, I'm not like every week you're going to see a video episode and, or anything like that. It's just kind of very open. 
and as they happen, they happen. So, oh, come yeah. on, audio episode a week, video episode a week. <laughs> Just put out a book a week. <laughs> yeah, Let's do it all, Corey. Come on. Why not? Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it went, is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I went through that phase for a while where I'm just like, I want to do like six podcasts. So I'm doing one like every night of the week for some reason. Yeah. And luckily, a couple of those have ended, and I just stopped doing some of the other ones. And I'm like, oh, this is so much better than doing one every night during the week. Yeah. It's fun, but man, it's time consuming. Yeah, it is. It is. But uh, I just feel so happy to be podcasting with you tonight. And, oh, thank and you. talking with you, man, because uh, you picked a great movie for us to talk about. And this is one of my favorites. Uh, and like I said before, you know, we started recording one of my favorites from this era, especially because there's not really a whole lot to pick from during you know this whole period in horror. Um, but uh, what'd you pick out for us? And uh, is there a specific reason why you picked this? Uh, I picked it for basically what you just said. I picked a. Uh, the Christian Bale starring uh, American Psycho. And uh, I sort of just, I think, brought it up to you. I'm like, hey, Batman's coming out soon. We should totally do American Psycho. Yes. And all that really was just an excuse to talk about American Psycho. Because <laughs> like we were talking about, like, we've never covered it on our show. There's no like real reason why. And you said you don't think you've ever talked about it. And we both were like, this is an amazing movie. Why have we not talked about it? Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. I don't want to say it's off our radar, but I guess it just sort of like when you when you're doing this week to week, I don't know, you just sort of lose track of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. This slipped through the cracks. I know I've referenced it several times. I'm just like, oh, you know, American Psycho this or American Psycho that. But I've never gotten into it and really said, hey, let's let's talk about this and review it and kind of kind of discuss it because it's a fascinating movie. And for me, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Christian Bale. This is kind of what brought him to my attention. Mm-hmm. And since then, I mean, yeah, he's Batman. Batman's, you know, Dark Knight and everything. That's a great movie. I haven't seen the new one yet. And I've heard great things about it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in his Batman role, I, I don't think he's done anything as wonderful as American Psycho. I mean, he's, he's just transformed himself into yeah. this Patrick Bateman character. And he jumped into it, man, even, uh, you know, psychologically, physically, the training that he went through. I was just reading about, like, the intense amount of workouts and, and, and uh, just long periods of time with trainers day in and day out to get ready for this. Um, yeah, I, uh, I always figured he was probably one of those actors that just completely when he was in a role, like he was in that role until the filming was over with. Um. And so it would have been interesting to kind of be around him during this time when he was filming this movie because, wow, he goes to some crazy places. Yeah, yeah, he does. And uh, in in case people haven't seen this, um, just a quick synopsis. Uh, There's this this movie just goes insane, uh, (laughs) to put it lightly. But, uh, you know, this is set in the late 80s. And we're focused on a group of Wall Street executives, these real high ups. And so the 80s, you know, it's kind of the, the, the era of greed and um, just uh, a lot of arrogance, jealousy and, and a lot of things going on between these high up businessmen, these CEOs, these investors and everything. And uh, Christian Bale is uh, is one of them. And he plays Patrick Bateman. And he's been harboring these kind of psychotic homicidal tendencies 
um, just I think stress and jealousy and that 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 greedy drive uh, that's part of him is just really sending him off the deep end. Uh, he, he constantly refers to himself as, as emotionless and just a shell of a human being. He he looks human, but inside he's he's just nothing. So we see this kind of kind of develop, and we see him kind of unravel as the movie goes on. And the play between the characters among all these all these different characters and how they interact, uh, especially to Bateman and the things that he says and the things that he does and how people just brush him off like it's just a joke or it just never happened. Um, they often mistake him for other people. So, you know, we can kind of get into what they're saying about that. But it's it's mm-hmm. really it's it's a crazy movie by the end of the movie. I mean, things just are full blown, gory, <laughs> violent. We see a lot of kills here. We see a lot of sex here. Um, it's just uh, really insane, but it's brilliant. Brilliant the way that it's uh, put together. It's very artistic, very beautiful to watch. The performances are just, I think, stellar. Um, so I don't know. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but it, yeah. it it is very 80s, though. Um, I think they oh, do a very. good job. Made in, of course, the year 2000. And how do you think they... They captured the 80s in here. Did they do a good job? Uh, I thought they did a pretty good job. I mean, this is very much uh, a downtown New York 80s, though. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not going to see, like, uh, a lot of the really crazy, like, 80s fashion. I mean, you'll see a little bit of it because they're out clubbing and stuff. But, I mean, for the most part, you see a lot of people in business suits and really kind of dressed up and stuff like that. So, it doesn't give off that sort of uh, tacky 80s vibe, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't see like the, the any kind of like punks or mullets or, you know, tank tops, high tops, yeah. things like that. So, um, but actually, I think the thing that does it for me the most is the music, uh, which oh, is yeah. a, a big part of this film. Because here's psychotic Patrick Bateman, and uh, he has this this love and appreciation for pop music of that point in time, especially uh, the big three, which are like Huey Lewis, Phil Collins and Whitney Houston. Um, and it's great. The, these parts in the movie where he is describing these artists to whoever he happens to be with at that point in time, like he puts on Huey Lewis and he starts explaining his his appreciation for Huey Lewis. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he's reading like a review column out oh, of yeah, the newspaper. Yeah. It, it's hilarious. That's what I was going to say. Uh, the the sort of the thing when you, Christian Bale's character, Patrick Bateman, sums up this movie perfectly in one line in the movie when he just tells somebody, I just want to fit in. Uh, and that's exactly what his character is doing. He always wants to be at the top. He always wants to be sort of one step ahead of everybody with fashion and music and all that stuff. So all of his stuff, and you mentioned earlier how he sort of talks about himself. He's almost sort of a pre, uh, um, uh, sort of a pretext to to the Dexter character from the Dexter TV series. Yes, because he talks a lot about how he has no emotion. He's very just blank inside, but he puts on sort of this front to people. And so I almost got like a never really noticed it before until I watched it this time. He very much sort of a Dexter motif to it. And so then to do that, like you were saying, it seems like when he's talking about these albums, he's basically just sounds like he's reciting reviews that he's read in like Rolling Stone or something. 
Exactly. To make it's, himself sound smart and make himself sound like, oh, this is, I'm definitely hip because this is the way I feel about this, which is probably something he read in a popular magazine. So, again, it makes him, him come off like really well to the people he's trying to impress. Yeah. And that's a great point, that line, I just want to fit in, uh, because you're exactly right. It, it's almost like he is doing all that he can and really running himself ragged and psychologically just just driving himself nuts, almost kind of studying what it is to be cool and what it is to fit in and what it is to, to make it. And he is trying to attain that, even though that is not him whatsoever. Deep inside, that's that's not who he is. But he has this drive to attain that. And so it's almost like he's like, all right, well, big thing right now is Huey Lewis. So he's going to learn as much as he can about that and kind of recite it word for word when he can um, and he, to fit in. Uh, so that's. Uh, yeah. And recite it word to word right before he buries an axe in somebody's head, too, which yes, is nice. Yes. <laughs> that's what me and my girlfriend are watching. She's like, oh, this is my favorite part. And he puts like that little rain jacket on. And he's all just sort of dancing around his apartment and then just smacks somebody in the head with an axe, which is awesome. <laughs> well, that's really when he comes alive. It's so funny because throughout most of the movie, especially when he's dealing with his associates, um, he's very robotic, very emotionless. Um, mm. But whenever he is getting ready to go in for the kill, it's like something turns on and all of a sudden he's very happy. You know, he's very animated. Um, it's almost like he, he, he transforms right before them. And, yeah. It's uh, like the only time he ever really enjoys himself is when he's trying to kill somebody. Yes. It's that. And toward the end, um, and I don't think I'm going to spoil it when I say this, but when he finds out that he's basically going to get away with everything mm -hmm. right at the end, he just, he, he sits down and he's just like, I'm just a happy camper. I'm yeah. just a rocking and a rolling. And <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, like we were talking about. Christian Bale does an amazing job. Yeah. And like you said, he just deteriorates throughout this movie. And you get to the breaking point, and he, you could tell he is completely just lost it and nervous and like, oh man, I did something really stupid. And then he's afraid he's going to get caught. And then when it turns out that, yeah, you did all this stuff, but you did it like in a society that everybody's more concerned about themselves than anything else. So nobody really cares. Right. And so he just sits down and he, you can see him sort of take a deep breath and then just complete calm for the for like till the end of the movie, which I thought was awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. And all throughout, it's just hilarious. The things that he says and yeah. that, that people just brush it off. And uh, like some of my favorite, I had to write down some of these quotes as I was watching this again, because <laughs> I, I haven't watched this for like, I don't know, probably seven or eight years. It's been a long time. It's been um, a while for me too. So I, I heard these lines and I'm just like cracking up. And that's, that's another funny thing is there are a lot of like funny parts. There's like some, there's the weird, weird humor going on oh, throughout yeah, the yeah. movie. Very dark humor in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like uh, the one, um, what is it? The, I think it was the bartender when he, he goes into the okay. club and he says, I want to stab you to death and then play around in your blood. You know, just yeah. just when it, whenever I, I don't think she'll she'll give him a drink or something, you know, and um, and then when he's uh, at the restaurant and the waiter's like, would you like to hear today's specials? And, and he says, not if you want to keep your spleen. <laughs> like, brilliant. I got to use that line sometime and, and see see what the reaction is. I'll probably get arrested. But, you know, 
Yeah, and he uses the old classic. I think one of his friends was like trying or trying to touch him or something. And he said, like, do that again and you'll pack, pull back a bloody stump. Yes. Which is like something my grandparents used to say all the time, which is <laughs> hilarious. But I'm just like, man, this guy has completely lost it. Yeah. Because he's not even kidding. There's not even like a smile on his face. Like, he's pissed. Like, don't touch me. Like, I will cut your hand off next time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's beautiful. Just a, um, just hilarious. Like, I'm watching this movie the other night again. And, you know, the, my, my wife you know, was here. And so she was watching her thing on the TV. I'm watching this, of course, on my laptop. And, and, uh, it's like this movie, you're, you were so pulled in to Bateman's character because you follow him so closely throughout the whole movie. It's, it's done through his perspective the whole time. Mm. And it's almost like I found myself after the movie was done getting up and almost kind of having this demeanor, this Patrick Bateman kind of demeanor just for, <laughs> just for a minute. You know, after the movie, because I've, I think I've been so involved with the character and I get up and I'm feeling kind of kind of arrogant, a little, you know, kind of kind of <laughs> like a little now, you know, I didn't try to kill anybody, but, you know, I just kind of it affected me that way, you know, where I kind of I kind of felt like I was I had just been Patrick Bateman for like an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like I wanted to talk very slowly and eloquently. Yes, because um, we were talking about that when he does the reviews of the music. But for the most part, when he's interacting with other people, it comes off as just such like a fake conversation. Yes. Like you can tell he's just got this big smile on his face and he's enunciating everything properly. And he's like, no, sir, you're wrong. And just like, you know, being very like sort of cocky about everything. And it's just, yeah, it seems, yeah, it does seem to rub off on you. You sort of get this weird sort of like swagger after you watch it. Goes away pretty quickly, thank God. Otherwise, yeah, <laughs> homeless people all around us would be in trouble. But uh, yeah, it's it's a weird, infectious thing, which I have to give complete credit to Christian Bale. I think he he just exudes that character on film, and yeah, that's like you said, that's the first movie where I really knew who he was. And then I'm like, wait, this guy's gonna be Batman, the crazy guy from American <laughs> yeah. Psycho? Yeah, I can see it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. A great actor. I mean, that's the mark of a, a great actor. He can do he, and he's done a lot of diverse things, you know, that we've yeah. seen uh, since then. And um, uh, he's had a lot of success. Um, yeah, he was actually a child actor. I don't know if you really up on him or not. Yeah. He was in uh, Empire of the Sun, which is a Steven Spielberg movie. Really? About, uh, I think uh, British people that were sort of put in internment camps, I think, in Hong Kong during World War Two. Oh, wow. He was a child in that. He's like one of the main characters in that one. And then he was in that movie Newsies, which I don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Think I ever really watched that much, but I know he was in that, too. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, he's, he's been doing this a long time. Yeah. Well, you can you can tell. And um, yeah, he's uh, just uh, brilliant. And you were talking about the way he speaks and just kind of a weird kind of, you know, he's very fake plastic kind of throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. And I think that especially comes out when he is in the meetings with the detective that is uh, coming oh, in yeah, and yeah. trying to investigate the, uh, the disappearance of Paul Allen. Um, the and, awesome uh, Willem Dafoe. Yes. Yes. And, Lots of uh, good people in this movie that, that I think if somebody hasn't seen it in a while, they pray, they may not remember how many like awesome actors there are in this movie. I know. I, I completely forgot that uh, Willem Dafoe, actually all, all these big names, of course, Christian Bale was like the only one that kind of carried over for me. 
but I'm watching this and I'm like, I can't believe, you know, oh, Reese Witherspoon. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Th- that's awesome. And uh, Josh Lucas, who we seem to be seeing like freaking everywhere anymore. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it, Chloe Svigny, however you say her last name. Right. She's uh, she's still maybe a little bit more more on the indie side, but I mean, she's definitely a recognizable face that's in there, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of guys. Um, that uh, you know are, are really big names, and uh, of course, all the performances here I think are uh, really, really great. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did an awesome job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, One thing I I didn't notice, and my girlfriend caught it this time. And I'm going to see if you noticed it because I have seen this movie probably uh, like ten times. Mm-hmm. But I, like you said, we, I haven't watched it in like seven or eight years. Uh, when they're all showing off their business cards together. Yes. And they they all work for the same company, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Yeah, that price and price or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. She's like all of their cards all say vice president. There can't be more than one vice president, can there? Seriously. And I'm like, "Oh, I guess you're right." And I was wondering <laughs> if it was like sort of one of those sort of cocky attitude things. I'm just going to get vice president on my business card to show everybody how important I am so they'll think I'm more important than I actually am. Or uh, now I got to go back and watch that that scene again because I completely did not notice that. Or were we seeing it through Patrick Bateman's lens? You know, because these business cards were a huge deal, uh, especially mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. Um, and they <laughs> the business card thing set him off. I mean, that that was basically what set him off against Paul Allen. You know, and um, so were we seeing it through his perspective where? He admired these business cards so much and was so envious of these that he kind of saw them on that VP level. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where they might yeah. as well be vice president because, wow, this is the image that they're setting off right now with this awesome business card. <laughs> it even has a watermark. <laughs> Not a watermark. I did like that the color of his card was bone. I was like, well, of course, that makes <laughs> perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah but uh, yeah that the whole business card thing was hilarious um just uh his quotes again this this was really weird um of course his appreciation for pop music but his knowledge of serial killers um oh, yeah, yeah. because you know he he uh, talks about ed gein he quotes ed gein talks about ted bundy and of course, when he does this, nobody else knows what he's talking about. Oh, no, no, they're too uh, self-important to, uh, to to even know who who anybody outside of New York is. Oh yeah, yeah. And while he's working out, he's watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, <laughs> or porn, really hardcore porn. Hey, one of the one or the other. One or the other. And uh, as we see throughout the movie, he he uh, kind of combines those two worlds in his personal life because he hires these prostitutes and he has his way with them. And then when he's done, he beats them up. And yeah. uh, it's <laughs> I just that's such a creepy scene. I mean, it's yeah. creepy anyway, the stuff he's doing with them. But then yeah, they're getting ready to leave and he's like, We're not done yet. And then you just see him with like bloody noses and like black eyes trying to walk out the door. I'm just like, What in the world is he doing? That was a brilliant sequence because you don't see what happened. You only see yeah. the beforehand and the aftermath, and you can only imagine. Yeah, and then one of them, because he picks up the same prostitute later, mentions that, oh, I don't know, I had to go to the emergency room last time. So then it's just like, <laughs> holy crap, like, man. Yeah, she might have to have, what'd she say? She might have to have surgery 
yeah. uh, for, for whatever happened. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. This is Patrick Bateman's brutal. <laughs> yeah. Now um, something, something out of the eighties I caught, um, this time around. And it was, it was a really quick reference, but I, I, I talked about the meetings with the detective. And of course, at one point he's trying to get out of this meeting. He's saying he has, he has a lunch meeting and he has to go. But did yeah. you catch the name of the guy that he made up who he had a lunch meeting with just to get out of this detective thing? Oh, it was, uh, yeah, he mentions like a really popular name and I'm completely blanking on what it was now. Cliff Huxtable. Cliff Huxtable. That's what yes. it was. Yes. <laughs> I was like, he's going to meet Bill Cosby. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and again, that's another thing I didn't catch. Um, all the other times I, I watched this movie and uh, I caught it this time. I'm like, Cliff Huxtable, no kidding. That's the te- awesome. Detective doesn't even know. No. So, I mean, it's just a weird sort of like, and he's probably the most, uh, I'd want to say the down most down-to-earth person in the movie is the detective. Well, unless you count the prostitutes, but, you know, whatever. And it just seems like that would be something that he would easily catch on to. But, no, just completely glosses over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we only do have a couple characters in this film that are actually down to earth, that actually kind of have their heads on straight. Um, and one definitely is the detective, but I think the most down to earth character of them all is Jean, the secretary. Yes, um, she yes. is so real that there is a just a stark comparison, you know, between her and and mm-hmm. pretty much everybody else, um, especially that date. We get the date. <laughs> between her and and Patrick and they hold this kind of strange conversation toward the end of the date mm-hmm. uh right before they go out where they're talking about well we shouldn't we should end this right now because I don't want to hurt you I, and she's like well I don't want to be hurt and you know from each of their perspectives they're talking about completely different things you know Bateman is talking about physically hurting and physically yeah. doing all these things. And she's talking about, well, emotionally from a relationship standpoint and that back and forth, you know that there are two completely different things going on here, <laughs> but the, the way it goes, it's, I love that scene. I love it. it yeah. It, it, it two really completely con- different conversations are going on at the same time, <laughs> yeah. but they both like equally like make sense. Right. But his meaning is completely different. And since we're watching the movie through his eyes, we know exactly what that is. And hers, we kind of understand just because, like you said, she's down to earth. But, yeah, (laughs) his is completely just like, yeah, you better run and get out of that apartment right now or something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So we we get to the end of the movie and we start questioning, or at least I do. And I want to know kind of what your take on this is um, because really you get to the end and you're like, how much of this actually happened and how much of this yeah. was just kind of his fantasy and, and, and things. Um, what do you think? Was this all kind of like a, like a big fantasy to him? Because there are definitely some things that you were pretty sure happened that actually turned mm-hmm. out to not happen. Um, but yeah. there's a lot of other things that definitely did happen. So I don't know. What what do you think? How much of this is in his head? I honestly have no idea. I was hoping (laughs) watching this one, I'd be able to figure that out more because there's stuff that just seems like obvious. Like, well, of course that happened. But then like something comes up that completely refutes it. It's like, oh, maybe it didn't happen. But then again, it's just somebody like saying a line that refutes it. 
but we never actually see like somebody who's supposed to be dead. He's like, no, I had dinner with that person. Like, you know, two weeks ago or something mm-hmm. or two days ago or something. And, and you're just like, Oh, well maybe he's not dead, but you never actually see this person on camera. So you can't confirm if it's, they're actually alive or this person is playing in again to the theme of the movie where they're mistaking people for other people and are <laughs> yeah. just so self-involved that they don't even realize that they were, had dinner with the wrong person or something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, there's like crazy, like super over the top stuff. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. surely, uh, this whole thing with the cop car or whatever, surely that didn't just happen. Right. But like, I don't know. I can't, I can't hundred percent say it didn't happen because they never be like, they're never saying anything like, Oh no, that was on his head or anything. Yeah. And that's yeah. sort of the awesome part. Cause I mean, they leave it completely open. Did this happen? Didn't, did it not happen? People, some people don't even know who he is. Think he's a different person. And <laughs> even yeah. his lawyer, his own lawyer thinks yeah. he's somebody completely different, which is hilarious. like, yeah, I'll talk about Bateman. He's what a dork. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he's like somebody else. And I'm just like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I actually bought the book years ago because I figured, oh, I'll read this and maybe that'll give me more insight. Uh, you know what happened? Oh, I honestly, I could not even finish the book. Really? Um, well, I've explained this to people. I'm kind of curious. I may want to go back and try to read it again here soon. But at the time when I tried to read it, the problem with the book is, and this happens in the movie, but let me, I'll explain the difference. In the book, every time somebody enters a room or something, he has to explain who they are, what their job is, uh, what designer clothes they're wearing, uh, if they have like a yacht or a convertible or something. And he does that with every character and reading it just drove me nuts. Hmm. And I understood the point because he does it in the movie too, but it just, I don't know. It seems to work for me more in the movie than it did in the book. And I kind of, and again, it feeds into his whole, like I'm so tuned in to what everybody else is doing so I can make myself look more important than them. That this is what just rattles off in his head. Like when he sees people, but I don't know. For me, I just it bugged me while I was trying to read it, and I just couldn't get all the way through it. Hmm. Yeah, that's so that's. I, I still have no idea what really happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that's interesting because I've uh, I've never read the book myself, but I've heard a lot of good things about it, and mm. um, how I guess when people heard that they were going to make a movie out of this book, they're just like, well, there's no way because it's very graphic, a lot of violence, a lot of sex and things, and and uh, mm. but they they pulled it off. I yeah. think really, really well because it, it's so funny, but especially compared to things, you know, this was 2000, so it's only been 12 years ago. Um, but even the level of graphic sex and violence in movies has far surpassed this one. Um, yeah. You know, movies that are even easily getting R ratings. But yeah. when this came out, um, the uh, they had problems, I guess, getting an R rating because of like the the three way with the prostitutes and uh, some of the other really violent scenes, and so they had to cut some of that stuff out. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting that that's kind of what happened um, because the book apparently is really even more graphic than than the movie ended up being. Um, yeah, like I said, now that I've got kind of gotten about ten years away from it. I'm kind of curious to try to give it another shot. Maybe, maybe I can get through it this time. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing is, uh, 
in the book, he actually lives in the same apartment building that Tom Cruise lives in. Oh, wow. So there's actually a moment where they share an elevator together. Which oh, was really? kind of cool. And I was just like, man, it would have been awesome if they could have got Tom Cruise to come in and just play himself for like 30 seconds of the movie. Wow. But at that time, you know, I think he was even more of a star than he is now, so it probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But uh, uh so I think there's some other reference, something else. Oh, uh, did you ever, have you ever seen the movie uh, Rules of Attraction? Ah, I don't believe I have. The James Vanderbeek. It's one of the movies he did after Dawson or whatever. Oh no, no, haven't haven't uh, seen a lot with Dawson. So I, you know. Well, it's based off a book by the same author, Freddie Sinellis, mm-hmm. and it's actually not a bad movie. Like I haven't seen it in a long time either, but it, it's not sort of. The typical uh, uh, teen sort of movie that you would imagine him doing after coming off Dawson's Creek. Uh, but one of the interesting things, which is not like directly apparent, but apparently, if you sort of are a fan of Brady Sinellis and you, know, you kind of look all this stuff up, I guess James Vanderbeek's character is supposed to be Patrick Bateman's younger brother. Oh, really? And he has some sort of. He's not like uh, quite as crazy as Patrick, but he sort of has some problems as well. But there is uh, sort of one nod to American Psycho because they have like uh, the typical uh, college thing that's in a lot of movies that I've never seen in real life, where they have the the like payphone out in the hallway that all the students use, mm-hmm. and then when somebody calls, like, "Hey, so and so, it's for you" or whatever, they go and answer the phone. Well, somebody calls for his character. I think his name is Sean Bateman. And he uh, goes to answer the phone. And then, like, uh, you know, he's like, hello. And then nobody really is answering. And it's another character who apparently uh, is gay and is in love with him, but is afraid to tell him. So he, like, gets him on the phone and can't say anything. So he's just silent. But when he answers, he's like, Patrick, is this you? And then, like, nothing happens and he just hangs up the phone. Huh. And that was supposed to be sort of a little nod to his, him his brother calling or something, but that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And it, I, um, I actually, you mentioned Dexter earlier. Yeah. Um, and, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there is a, a reference, I guess, to, to this in Dexter. Um, because apparently now I haven't watched a whole lot of Dexter. I watched the first, uh, several episodes, but, uh, and I just mm-hmm. got busy and I just kind of quit watching it. No, no particular reason, but, yeah. um, Apparently, at one point, he goes under the pseudonym of Patrick Bateman. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I say, so. yeah, I think I've seen that before, and I think I had my own little nerd moment, and I looked mm-hmm. around, and I was like, really? Nobody else? All right. <laughs> so you know they were inspired by this movie. Oh, moment. yeah, they had to be. Yeah, yeah it's very uh, obvious. Um, now, there was a sequel to this. Oh. Have you ever seen American Psycho 2 with uh, what's-her-name yes. from uh, that 70s show? Mila Kunis. Yes, yes. And uh, William Shatner's in it, too, <laughs> Yes, it tells you anything. Yes, um, oh, God, yeah. it's, it's a little off. rough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, I was very disappointed in it. Um, <laughs> and that's, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not good. Yeah, they just do away with uh, Patrick Bateman right away at the beginning. Yeah, they have like a stand-in for him because there's like one scene where they kind of reference yeah. him and, but it's not Christian Bale. It's just some guy and, no. and uh, some guy in a robe wearing an ice mask thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's ridiculous. Makes no sense. And, uh, 
Yeah, so that's uh, yeah. Uh, like the tone of the movie is completely different, and just it, uh, yeah, I just remember hating it when I saw it, so I never tried to think about it ever again. Yeah, yeah, I do not revisit that film. It's it's no. worthless. Um, but you know, American Psycho, dude. You know this. Now I didn't read up as far as how this performed, um, because so many people tend you know, seem to like it right now, yeah. but. Um, I don't know how it performed because the way I was introduced to this movie was um, somebody rented it as soon as it came out. And this is, of course, you know, still VHS stuff. Uh, one of my buddies rented it. I was still in college and uh, he's like, have you ever seen this? You got to see it. And so I'd never heard of it before. I never heard of any kind of theatrical thing whatsoever. So the first time was just on a rental. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. This was a big budget movie. Um, do you know? I mean, did this uh, this go yeah. over well in the theaters? Yeah, I don't remember remember how its theatrical run did. Um, I think I caught it on DVD too, like right after it came out. So I don't even remember it hitting theaters. I just remember seeing the cover and being like, "Yeah, this might be cool." And I read the back and I'm like, "Oh, businessman serial killer. That might be kind of cool." And then took it home and was you know just completely blown away by it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, everybody specifically from right around our age range. Like if you talk to them about American psycho, they seem to remember like, Oh yeah, yeah. I really like that movie. And everybody seems to really like it, but I don't think anybody I know ever saw it in the movie theater. Yeah. That's interesting. It's uh, so, hmm. it just be something people discovered on video. Yeah. Well, it was good enough to spawn a sequel, you know? Yeah. Which, uh, so apparently it made the money, <laughs> but, um, Oh, yeah. something else we should, uh, comment on, uh, this movie had, two female screenwriters and a female uh, director. Interesting. That was just really cool. Yeah. Which is kind of cool considering some of the uh, um, sort of the context of the movie or whatever. And his sort of view on women. Oh my uh, God. It's kind of interesting to see sort of how almost like uh, the female screenwriter and director would interpret sort of his psychotic view and his view of women and stuff in, in the, in this movie. It, I mean, women are just complete objects during the whole span of this movie. Uh, as far as their perspective goes, mm-hmm. you know, so much woman hating going on here. And, uh, Oh man, I, I, I can't quote anything right now, but I'm just picturing these scenes where they're just laughing about, um, <laughs> you know, just, uh, how inferior women are in their minds. And then when I found out now, again, watching this and knowing that I was going to be talking with you about it, of course, I'm doing a little research, you know, saying who directed this. And I'd never heard of this director before. And I was actually shocked, you know, that this was a woman director and mm. so many women were, were involved in the production of this. Um, and uh, which I think really says a lot for their talent and their vision and, and their, their ability to tell this story. Um, and, uh, it, it was just, it was just really, really cool. Now what's, what's funny is they do all this women bashing and of course, you know, their, their whole kind of, uh, you know, very, very, uh, um, uh, what am I trying to say? You know, the, the, I don't know, woman bashing the whole, the, yeah. the whole time through, but there's one point where, uh, one of them starts making these anti-Semitic comments and Patrick Bateman, Patrick takes complete offense to the, to the, yeah. you know, the, the kind of Jew sort of references that, that, that one of them's making. 
but yet they all sit around and they just make fun of women. And, and so it's just yeah. a funny sort of sort of comparison there between the two where it's it's OK to, to bash on the opposite sex. But don't talk about Jews that way. You know, don't, <laughs> yeah, just you know. yeah, it's like women, women, women. And it's like, uh, yeah, something Jewish, something or another. And it's like, whoa, like you just you just crossed the line. Like, what, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. The guys are just like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they can just go back to bashing women again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but uh, just an awesome movie. I mean, if people haven't seen this, um, it's one, it, it's not on Netflix, unfortunately, um, mm. but it's definitely accessible. It's out there. You can, you can buy the DVD uh, fairly cheap. Um, and of course, this is one, it, it's hilarious. I, I went out and, and bought the DVD eventually, but I still have it here in a box on VHS. Because uh, I, I went out and bought it like the day after I saw it, you know, after my buddies introduced it to me. I'm like, I have to own this thing. This is <laughs> this is a brilliant thing. So yeah, uh, I have it on DVD and I also actually own it on Blu-ray as well because the Blu-ray was really cheap. Ooh. But then the Blu-ray doesn't have all the special features that are on the DVD. So I kept both of them just Ooh. for that reason. What kind of special features are on the Blu-ray, dude? Offhand. On the Blu-ray, there's just like a, a half an hour featurette about sort of downtown New York in the 80s. And they have a lot of people who were like sort of um, big like uh, columnists and, you know, newspaper people and club goers and just seeing people from New York like talking about it and just sort of the crazy club experience and all that kind of stuff that was going on. Um, and that's all the Blu-ray has, which is weird. But then, like, the DVD has, like, a making of featurette and, like, interviews with the director and the screenwriter. And, yeah. Awesome. So it's just kind of weird that they don't – they didn't cross um, – because the 80s one is also on the DVD. So I don't know why they didn't, why they didn't just sort of do a, a, a port over of all the special features. But Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's amazing uh, the way that works. But. Which also um, – the second time of the movie that he has a threesome with that one prostitute and the other girl. Yeah. The other girl is one of the screenwriters. Really? Yeah. She, she's <laughs> oh, an actress man. and she did a lot of like indie work or whatever. And then, uh, so yeah, she was, yeah, his friend or something from when they were younger or something, whatever they say that she was. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Her <laughs> and the director wrote the screenplay together. <laughs> And then wow. she's like, yeah, I'm going to take this really odd role and get, you know, beat up and slapped around and stuff. That's a crazy role to volunteer yourself <laughs> for, man. Wow. Yeah. Man. But uh, she did a great job. And uh, that's that's another funny part in the film where, um, again, it's like they kind of show the before and the after because they're kind of all they're, you know, lounging around on the couch. And she's obviously drunk and she's on whatever else. And uh Patrick just starts joking around and he's like, Hey, you know, I'd like to see you and you know, the prostitute that was there with him. He's like, I'd like to see you two make, you know, get it on. And she's just like, Oh, you're joking. There's no way I'd ever do that. And then cut. Next thing you see <laughs> is they're getting it on, you know, and Patrick's yeah. right there too. And, uh, it's just yeah, think, another great I think we way. We see him put something in her drink too. Yeah. So yeah, she's, she's obviously been roofied. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> But, uh, man, brilliant film. Do you got anything else uh, that you wanted to bring up about this? I mean, we could we could just go on yeah. and on. There, there's 
so many great parts. But again, I can't spoil this thing because there are probably people out there listening that haven't seen it and they're missing out, man. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's uh, probably one of my one of my favorite scenes just has to do with an ATM. And if you've seen it, you know (laughs) what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen it, you're going ATM then just go watch it. And you're going to be like, wow, that's kind of fucked up. Yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, other than that, yeah, it's an amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely give it a shot. It's like amazing. Uh, Christian Bale does this awesome performance in it. And it's, it's weird because part of you would sort of as a, sort of a, a blogger movie critic, like we sort of are like would look at him and be like, man, that's like an awful performance. But, when you really take the whole movie in as a whole, it's like, yeah, it's an awful performance because he's performing in real life. He's just being this complete uh, fake. I think you called him plastic earlier, which is perfect. Mm -hmm. Just this complete fake plastic person. So (laughs) Patrick Bateman himself is not an actor. So this whole thing just comes off horribly. And, but everybody's acting that way. So that's just how they act with each other. And, in doing so, uh, uh, an awful performance, not to make this to completely, you know, mix up his metaphor or whatever. <laughs> in doing an awful performance, he does an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, because of this and, and because this was my really first exposure to Christian Bale and knowing who he was, um, at this point, I mean, he, he, it's hard for him to, to do wrong in my mm-hmm. eyes. You know, it's really, I, I've garnered so much respect for him based on this film alone that uh, I'm, I'm totally willing to give anything that he does a chance. And, you know, even if he has little outbursts of anger on set and, you know, says some things that maybe he didn't mean, I'm, I'm completely forgiving. I'm like, well, you know, he's under a lot of stress. That's, that's Christian Bale, big actor, you know, you know, well, so like like we were talking like when it happened, I was telling people because if if somebody was living under a rock on Terminator Salvation, apparently he blew up at, one of the crew members and of course the audio got leaked out yeah but even at the time like for me i'm like well he's probably a method actor so he's probably i mean he's like entrenched in that role of john connor yeah and so i'm sure it was really easy to set him off and it's probably what happened yeah and from, yeah. from what i understand like he apologized like immediately to the guy and you know everybody moved on and it was no big deal but then you know a week later this audio surfaces and it's like oh what a dick whatever and i'm just like you know, none of us really, none of us were on the set. We have no idea what happened. Yeah. So, and he always seemed like a, a nice guy to me. Every time I uh, saw him like doing press or anything, I was, he always seemed nice to me. So I figured, yeah, it was probably just a bad day of working, being a little too into his character probably and whatever. That's the problem with being in the public eye so much and, and having these kind of things, yeah. you know, leak out because Everybody has bad days. I mean, I have yeah. I have bad days and I say things to people that I work with and like my wife and my friends and stuff that I, I don't mean whatsoever. But it, it's very yeah. contextual. It's like what I'm dealing with at the time, the circumstances, and, and that's how I react. But of course, it's taken in context. It doesn't define the kind of person that I am. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all prone to these things. Yeah. And people who are in the public eye, like like, you know, Christian Bale. You know, they have this this lens on them the entire time, this microscope on them the entire time that they are anywhere. 
and people see it and they interpret it different ways. And, and again, it's all about context. And when it's taken slightly out of context or it's exaggerated a little bit or it's it's told with a little bit of a spin, then it can completely blow up into something that it was not. So that's um, yeah. That's and considering that's the only time I've ever heard anything negative about him. Right. I figured right. out if if I heard people from like every movie he worked on, like, oh, what a dick. Then maybe I'd be like, OK, but yeah. Yeah, it was one time. And I just saw, I'm reading Twitter today and people are blown up on Twitter about something really great that Christian Bale just yes. did. I was um, going to say, I want to talk about that since we're talking about the negative stuff. Let's talk about something positive. Yeah. Now, what was that? Refresh my memory, because I, I just, of course, read through all this in, in passing very quickly. But. Um, well, of course, uh, everybody's probably aware of the horrible thing that happened in Colorado on Friday. And I don't want to talk about too much because I don't want to give that psychopath that did it anymore exposure than he gets from it but obviously there was a really bad shooting at a movie theater during uh dark knight rises and apparently today christian bale went to uh aurora colorado where it happened and um told told whoever he had to coordinate with that he wanted to go to the hospital and meet with all the uh um people that were there because of the shooting or whatever but he said he would only do it if there was no press there because he didn't want it to be, oh, look at me, look at this awesome thing I'm doing. I just, he's like, I just want to go and have a moment with these people and, you know, let them know that I'm thinking about them or whatever. And so they blocked all the press from the hospital, wouldn't let anybody in. And so he went in, apparently uh, met with seven people that are still in the hospital, spent like 10 minutes apiece with each of them and just talked to them and, you know, whatever. And so all these cell phone pics of him in the hospital are just like flying up on the internet right now. And then, uh, right as we were recording, I actually saw, apparently he went to the site at the movie theater and they have this sort of big, when something like this happens, they usually have that big memorial where people put flowers and all that stuff. And so he visited there and dropped some flowers off and was just, uh, you know, being a classy guy from what I can see, just, you know, really, understanding that these people had something horrible happening to him just because they wanted to go see him in a movie. Wow. And so he's probably like the least I can do is, you know, go and talk to him. And Warner brothers put out a statement saying that, uh, this is completely independent for Christian Bale. This is not something that we're involved with. He did this on his own. You know, obviously we feel horrible, but this isn't like a publicity stunt where we called him and told him to go. Like he just went on his own to, to do it because that's, type of guy he is and that kind of confirms what we're saying you know he's yeah uh, exactly you know that's uh i but again i started reading these things today and i'm like wow that is really cool and i didn't have the time to to check it out and and thank you for for kind of clearing that up what he did but but i had no idea that he had just kind of barred all the press and just said this is just something i want to do to do it Mm -hmm. because he he just feels it's the right thing to do and man what a guy what a guy there was a uh, campaign I saw on Facebook where they were trying to get him to maybe show up uh, in the Batman suit at the hospital to see some of the kids, apparently, that were there. Oh, wow. But yeah. I don't know how uh, <laughs> I don't know how uh, appropriate that would have been. I don't want to say appropriate, but yeah, I don't know if that would have been good. Like, you know, some guy, Batman, you know, the, the guy that was on the big screen when all that crap happened comes walking in the room <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And I noticed he has facial hair, so you may be might have that for a movie role. So 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Grizzly Batman just doesn't, doesn't yeah. work. No, that's. Uh, <laughs> but he but he showed up to the hospital, which is awesome. Like yeah. I, that just, you know, hey, he's he can go off on anybody on any movie set he wants to. As far as I'm concerned, he's he's obviously a pretty small guy. Right. Right. And the same in my eyes, uh, a really stand up guy, fantastic actor. Just uh, we've gone off on how talented he is. And uh, he has a long history of this. And uh, again, I will I will give whatever he does a shot because um, he's Christian Bale. So yeah. can do have no you wrong. ever seen uh, have you ever seen The Machinist? I have not. And people people are like, how have you not seen The Machinist? Because you have to see it because it's brilliant. And it's it's I think it's on Netflix and it's in my queue. Yeah. Um, but uh I have well, not uh, seen it yet. Next time you want to have me on, just let me know because I'd love to talk about that movie. For some reason, I'll just come on. I'll be the Christian Bale guy, and we can just talk about Christian Bale movies for whatever reason. Awesome. From now on, you you're the Christian Bale guy. <laughs> so that's uh, yeah. But the Machinist is awesome. It's and it's the movie he did right before Batman Begins, and he mm-hmm. lost a shit ton of weight for the Machinist because he's uh, like a guy who has insomnia, so he's awake a lot, and so he gets mm-hmm. really skinny and really gaunt and skeletal looking. And he seriously looks really gross and then went and put on like a shit ton of muscle for Batman like right afterwards. Wow. That's really great that he can have that much discipline like physically yeah. to to do these kind of things. Because like, you know, I said earlier about how he prepared for months and months and months just to get into the like peak physical shape that he did uh, for American Psycho. Um, and then to be able to go into that kind of physical form for the machinist and then back on again, let's put on some more muscle for Batman. So it's, it's yeah. like, wow. I mean, this is how seriously he takes it. Um, mm-hmm. which is, uh, which is really cool. Cause if I was an actor, I, you know, yeah, here's what you get. You know, I, yeah. you know, I was like, is- if you want me to be fat me, then, uh, <laughs> done. If you want me to be skinny me, we're going to have problems. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, but I'd be like, don't expect me to, to you know, go exercise, you know, every single day from now until the shoot just to, just to look a little more fit. I mean, you, you, you sign me as I am. So probably a good thing I'm not uh, don't have those ambitions in my life. But, uh, I'm, I'm much better on the other side of the camera. So no, I'm with you. I don't I don't do a camera <laughs> in front of camera stuff. Have you ever considered like putting yourself in in one of your productions like you know, that was that was a thing of like Hitchcock and and uh, a lot of filmmakers, you know, they kind of like little cameos and stuff. Have you ever been tempted? Not, you, you've made a lot of stuff. Yeah, not really. Uh, Dave, who's worked with me on a couple, is always like, come on, let's do, let's do like a Hitchcock thing where we just see like the side of your face. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, I discovered a long time ago because right after I got out of high school is really when the uh, like I want to make movies sort of thing hit. And so I wrote like a feature length script about me and another friend of mine and our crazy misadventures in high school or something. Mm. And I'm sure if I were to go back and read it now, I'd be like, God, this is awful. (laughs) But uh, we were going to play ourselves into this essentially. And so we only shot like two scenes of it. And I remember because I was directing it and being in it. And I remember the whole time that uh, I couldn't stop focusing on the camera. Cause I was so worried what the shot looked like that I couldn't uh, get in the moment. And so that's when I was like, I'm obviously not an actor. <laughs> I'm just way too aware of the camera, way too like concerned. Like, am I going out of frame? Is it too close? Is it too far away? Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll stick to the writing and directing part and I'll let somebody else uh, worry about all that other stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, that's cool. I've always wondered how that works. I mean, when you have a director, and we've seen this even in like really big budget films, you know, the, of course the Hitchcock stuff, but even, you know, a lot more modern stuff where like directors will cast themselves in roles of varying importance, I guess, in, in the films. You know, some is just a, a real quick cameo. Um, but others, you know, Tarantino has done this, of course, a lot. But it's like how it, it just never added up to me, I guess. And maybe it's just I don't have enough experience movie wise on, on sets and the way things work and whatever. But how logistically does that work that you're directing this film, but you're also on screen at the same time? I mean, I, I guess you have to you just have a lot of faith in your DP and and, you know, a lot of that, a lot of the other kind of people that are making this work behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to uh, you'd have to really trust your DP because basically they're going to be, you know, making sure you don't look like an idiot when you're on screen. Um, and like I've seen uh, some of the making of stuff, I think, with uh, Kevin Smith, like on Chasing Amy or something. Yeah. And he's uh, like definitely directing like on screen. And I mean, he's Silent Bob, so he doesn't really have to say anything. So it's probably right. a lot easier. But yeah, like they'll, go, they'll say a line and he obviously didn't really like it. So he'll just be like, all right, go again. Like don't it doesn't even stop the camera. Just like all right, let's just let's just go real quick, huh. and they do another line and they sort of move on. So I don't know. I don't think I could get myself comfortable enough to sort of put myself in that situation where my my mind would always be split over. Well, how does this look? How's the performance looking? Am I not thinking about the performance enough because I'm thinking about my lines or whatever? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Interesting. It's funny. And again, to take this a completely different way. And if I'm taking up too much of your time, just let me know. And we'll, oh, we'll I'm, it. But I'm, uh, I'm on as long as you want me on, Corey. Oh, dude, you don't know what you're what you're putting yourself into here, man, well, because I, I, I just I, I, I go off. I can talk um, about movies all night long. You mentioned Chasing Amy. All right. Yeah. And this is one I, I put up um, just on my Netflix. I was up late one night. And I'm like, oh, I want kind of something up on the screen to be just to be up there and chasing Amy's on Netflix. And this is a movie that I loved when it came out mm -hmm. um, a long time ago. Again, I was still in college right around almost the time when I saw American psycho. Um, and uh, I loved it. So I'm like, Oh, I'm going to revisit, you know, the good old days, you know, and just remember sitting back in college and, and watching this film and how much I loved it, dude, I couldn't get through it this time. And this was like last week. Um, yeah. I watched it. And literally the only thing that held my attention at all and actually entertained me at all was uh, Jason Lee's character. Because I, I, I love I love him like mall rats and, yeah. and uh, you know, chasing him. I mean, his just his his short temper and just his outbursts and stuff, I, I think is brilliant. I just I really like him as an actor. Um, but everything else, it's just like ugh, Ben Affleck. Ugh, it, it just annoys <laughs> me anymore. And it just seemed like like everything was so the lines were all so wordy and also like contrived and mm. just like, ugh. have you watched that lately? Uh, not like super lately, but my guess would be because um, you're about the same age I am, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I really haven't watched Clerks in a long time either. Mm. And I'm wondering if like those movies are very much sort of. Um, definitely sort of spoke to us when we were like sort of, you know, getting, turning, getting in our twenties and really trying to figure out, okay, where are we going? What are we doing? What's our life going to be? 
Right. And those probably definitely spoke to us. And obviously now, like, I mean, you know, you're a father, you're married, you've got, you know, other things you're thinking about. And so I'm sure like that stuff doesn't probably hit home nearly as much as it used to when you were younger. And so since you're not connecting to it nearly as much now, suddenly you're seeing like sort of the, the bad acting and the stilted <laughs> dialogue and all that stuff. And it's probably like, oh, man, like these people reading off a teleprompter. What the hell's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Serious. I mean, it was it, it wasn't that good. No. And I, I tried. I was I was like sitting back ready to enjoy this and it just didn't work for me. And uh and I kind of have I, I I watched Mallrats again here a few months ago, and that that almost had that effect on me because again it's it's Kevin Smith very young in his career and and mm-hmm. kind of you know finding his I think signature um, voice and I think he was he was just trying and uh, so Mallrats I can still enjoy I, I still really really love but uh, th- that was almost a little bit coming through in that film and then again just uh, chasing Amy. I could just not get into it at all, at all. And again, if it wasn't if it wasn't for Jason Lee, I would have checked out a lot earlier in that. Yeah. But uh, Jason Lee's the man, so that's, yeah, they're uh, probably definitely going to be nostalgia watches, like yeah. from now on. Like there's, and you know, Smith has pretty much said he's got really nothing left to say, so he's retiring from directing or whatever soon. And yeah, I don't know, maybe he just he's sort of losing his voice as far as filmmaking goes, but. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't watched those movies. Uh, I do keep buying like a lot of the uh, new editions that come out because the yeah. one thing I do love is the documentaries they've been putting on them lately. Mm. Yeah, they're awesome. The uh, Clerks X collection or DVD or whatever has like sort of the story of how Clerks was made and all that stuff. And it's like an hour and a half long documentary. And I just absolutely love that documentary. Uh, sort of just showing like how... You know, you growing up, you don't know what you're, where you're going, what you're doing. And then yeah, you just go see some indie movie and all of a sudden that sparks something in you. It's like, I, oh, I just want to make a movie and I'll make a movie at a convenience store because nobody's ever done it before. And write the script that has a lot of dialogue in it, but <laughs> seem to definitely connect with people for some reason. Yeah. And then he like goes through the whole process. Have you ever seen this documentary? No. Oh, it's really good because he talks to like a lot of his like high school friends and stuff and just sort of, you know, what his personality was like and how he come, he came from a town that basically you had two options, either one, you go away to college or two, you go work at the factory Mm. and neither one of those really appealed to him. And so that it's like, so what do you do? Like you end up working at a convenience store and it's not really a job you'd like, but I mean, it's a job you tolerate because it's easy and people leave you alone for the most part. Um, but then they go through all this and he, you know, he goes to see the movie slacker. He really identifies with it. And he's like, well, if this counts as a movie, like I want to make a movie then. And so he makes clerks or whatever, uh, and sends it off. And Kevin Smith's entire career comes down to one person. And his name is Bob Hawk. He sends this to like the international, uh, feature film market or something that was going on in New York. And they show up for the showing and there's like five people in the theater. <laughs> and he's like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, nobody's here to see my movie. And then he said the movie started and he's like, and there's just all this cursing. And I'm just like, why is this so dirty? Why did I put all these curse words <laughs> in the script? Like seeing it on the big screen really like 
you know, freaked him out. And he's like, well, I guess that's it. But the, there's, they show like a picture of the theaters too. And there's literally five people in the audience, but sitting in the front row is this old guy just sitting there like, and they're like, what's this old guy doing here? And his name's Bob Hawk. And he's like really good friends with a lot of like independent, uh, film producers and stuff. And he absolutely loved it. And so he told like one other guy about it because, uh, and then also you, you gave a copy to like the independent uh, feature film market on like uh, well VHS tape. Mm-hmm. And so then if you couldn't make it to the thing, you could check the tape out and watch it and see, you know, some of the movies that were there or whatever. And so he told this other guy about it. And this guy was just like, yeah, this movie is like really connected with me for some reason. And all of a sudden it kept sort of snowballing and like all these people kept seeing it. And it was all because this old guy told them, oh, this movie is great. You need to go see it. And they talked to him and he was just like, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was, it was smart. You know, it was funny. And like, we hadn't seen a movie like that. And that just snowballed and snowballed until Miramax bought it at Sundance that year. So, I mean, it's just, it's one of those really cool stories where you just sit and you're like, wow, like this, this guy's entire movie career, you know, whether you like him or not, all comes down to one person saying they liked his movie and that's it, man. Like if he wouldn't have seen it, like Kevin Smith would be, you know, thirty thousand dollars in debt, probably still working at the convenience store. Right, right. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And that's the thing, man. They they keep releasing these these new editions with you know mm-hmm. some some special feature that you haven't seen before, so you got to buy this one. And that's that's why yeah. I have like like freaking Zombie Two. I have it like five times and Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> you know those, those kind of things because yeah. every once in a while they found something else they can put on there and sucker me into to buying a whole new version. So. Yeah, yeah, but that's uh, yeah. that's what it is. But uh, well, dude, man, this was great talking to you. And and uh, definitely, the machinist has now been like raised to the top of my list of uh, <laughs> it, it, things on Netflix that I'm gonna watch. And uh, I'm gonna be asking you to uh, come on with me again and talk about that. Yeah, one. Um, anytime. Awesome, awesome. Well, Brian, of course, drunken zombie. Uh, what else do you got going on? Um, Anything, uh, uh, the last time I was on here, we were talking about my short film, Mictophobia, right. uh, and the DVD collection of short films that it was part of is finally out. Awesome. And, uh, you can pick up a copy of that at uh, drunkenzombie.com or my regular website, Brian Wolford, B-R-Y-A-N-W-O-L-F-O-R-D.net. And, uh, those are like 10 bucks a piece and uh, I'm selling them myself. So, you know, you'll be getting it straight from me and, uh, you know, the collection is pretty cool. It's got um, uh, 10 short films by 10 different filmmakers. And each one got like an emotion and I got fear. So, of course, I did fear of darkness and sort of uh, turns the whole idea on its head. Uh, if you want to know more about it, definitely go back to whatever episode I was on and uh, oh, yeah. give that a listen. Uh, but, yeah, the, all the other shorts are pretty cool. There's sort of a, a little bit of everything. So no matter what you're into, there's sort of a... Uh, little bit of like a torture porny sort of a short film. Um, that's the only way I know to describe it is torture porn. Because <laughs> uh, I know some people hate that term, but yeah, well, people know what you're talking about when you exactly. say it, so you might as well. Uh, there's some like that are done like uh, sort of grindhouse exploitation style. There's one that's almost uh, like half um, documentary style, hmm. but it's sort of. I don't think the story's real, but I mean it's done in almost like a documentary style where it's just sort of a narrator talking over shots of location footage and stuff like that. Um, and there's like ghost stories and 
werewolf stories and so i mean there's a little bit of everything so whatever you're into you probably definitely be able to pick uh, a short film out and uh at ten dollars it's only like a dollar per film so it's completely worth it well the 10 bucks is uh is worth uh mictophobia you know right there it's, oh uh, thank you appreciate you know, that it's uh really cool so brian thanks again man and we'll be in touch again but i uh, really appreciate this dude and we'll, uh, we'll be oh, talking no again soon ah oh, thank you very much sir all right good night night Howard, it's Bateman, Patrick Bateman. You're my lawyer, so I think you should know I've killed a lot of people. Some escort girls in an apartment uptown. Uh, some homeless people, maybe five or ten. Um, an NYU girl I met in Central Park. I left her in a parking lot behind some donut shop. I killed Bethany, my old girlfriend, with a nail gun. Uh, and uh, some a man, of a little, some old faggot with a dog. <laughs> Last week, I, uh, I killed another girl with a chainsaw. <laughs> I had to. She almost got away. And uh, someone else there, I can't remember, maybe a model, but she's dead too. And uh, Paul Allen. I killed Paul Allen with an ax in the face. His body is dissolving in a bathtub in Hell's Kitchen. I don't want to leave anything out here. I guess I've killed maybe 20 people, maybe 40. Uh, I have uh, tapes of a lot of it. Uh, some of the girls have seen the tapes. I even, um... I ate some of their brains. And then tried to cook a little. Tonight, I, uh, <laughs> I just had to kill a lot of people, and, um, I'm not sure I'm going to get away with it this time. So, uh, I mean, oh, I guess I'm a pretty, uh, I mean, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy. So, if you get back tomorrow, I may show up at Harry's bar. So, you know, keep your eyes open. Well, here I am once again, and I welcome... Back to the show, a, a good friend, fellow podcaster, Misfit Boy. Dude, thank you for joining me again, man. Hello, Corey. Hey, thanks again for having me on once again. Always a pleasure here to be here right here on the electric chair. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, man, you, you've just uh, talked with me so much, and we've hung out together. I mean, seriously, I mean, first of all, what did you think of The Grave Show? that we just saw here a few weeks ago. I would say that it's going to be permanently etched in the back of my skull. I enjoyed it so much. It was such a difference from the acoustic show, not taking anything from the acoustic show, but to hear him just plugged in and doing all the great songs that he did, I was just 
blown away. It's like I wanted to start a mosh pit so bad at half the tunes that he did. But (laughs) I'm too old and feeble now, so, but... (laughs) Dude, if you are in a mosh pit, I am definitely not in that mosh pit. I was. You would would totally kick my ass. Dude, I'm not in there. I would never do that, dude. But (laughs) it's... What what did Exodus say? Good, friendly, violent, fun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and, you know, you actually turned me on to another song of his. I wanted to make sure I told you that uh, it's like probably my new personal favorite of his. It's uh, 20 Million Light Years From Her. Yes. That oh. is an amazing song. That is probably my favorite Michael Graves song. I can see why. It, it, is, it is just a badass tune. And we saw him perform that in his acoustic set the first time we saw him at uh, Peabody's. Right. And um, he, he actually was maybe a little bit disappointed that he didn't do it like electrically this time around when we saw him at the Rockstar. But then again, that was OK because he kicked ass anyhow. But uh, he played some new songs, too. Uh, yes. Right towards the beginning, he, he actually opened with a brand new song, which was like Stupid Hallways or some something Hallways. I don't remember what it was called. But uh, some new material that I hope he's going to debut on his album coming out here uh, sometime in the next year. Um, but, uh, man, what did you... I mean, he changed up. He played a lot of these songs electrically, but uh, also changed them up. I mean, he played, um, you know, uh, Shining. Yes. Um, and uh, he did it not the way that he does it acoustically, but not the way that he, they did it on American Psycho, the album. I mean, he kind of he kind of did this weird in-between arrangement of it. Yeah. <clears throat> another, another thing that I also enjoyed was, like you were saying, how he like changes the music itself. He also did that for another song called uh, Iridescent White Light. Yes. Which oh. I was really, really surprised at how good that one turned out. Because, you know, when you listen to the studio version of that and you think, Man, how could he do this live? And then he goes and does that, and you're just like, okay, wow, that, that was that was incredible. Yeah. And one of the coolest things, though, for me, though, is the fact that I've got this very, very kick-ass Michael Graves shirt that has the alien character from the Cheese Fest classic, They Live. Yes. With Obey in the background, and it has the little bubblegum slogan or what do you call it, logo on the back. So that was really cool for me. Not to mention the fact that I snuck away from you and Tara, and you know me, I'm, I'll am i go up to anybody. And he was actually sitting behind the table selling the shirts, and I'm like, how you doing, Michael? You know, big fan, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm just your local douchebag or whatever. I was like, but uh, I brought a friend of mine all the way from Erie, Pennsylvania, who's met you once and really wants to see you again. And you were actually on a show before. And as soon as I said that, it's like he immediately knew who I was talking about. And he's like, was that what we were talking about, They Live? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, was that Corey? I'm like, wow, yes, it was. He's like, where is he? I'm like, I will bring him up here in a second. <laughs> Dude, give, me my two, give me my two seconds, you bastard. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I actually wish you could have spent more time with Michael and just hung out with him more. And you kind of, you were so cool in that you just kind of passed him off to me. 
And yeah, that, that's you know what it is though. It's all the years going to Cinema Wasteland. You get used to meeting all these people. Yeah, that it's it's like just another day in the park. Yeah, but dude, I I wish you could have experienced that like exuberance that I did. Maybe you can't because like, dude, I just like it's a total place and time where I was when I first heard American Psycho and I first heard Michael Graves sing. And that that album just spoke to me so much. And his voice spoke to me so much. And so whenever I talk to him, I like I'm a total like fanboy. And yeah. <laughs> I, I, I gush and I'm just like, dude, oh, Michael Graves, I, w- I would totally marry you right now. You know, <laughs> it's just that kind of thing. And you have those sort of icons as being a fan of anything. Yes. How about that opening act, dude? Oh, that was over he- at the Pirate's Cove. Yes. Dude, he was like 13, wasn't he? Or something like that. Yes, he was like 12 years old. Dude, and, uh, I couldn't believe it. It's like a two-man death metal like band. And uh, I bought the CD, of course. I'm, you got a table at a show. I'm going to buy like pretty much everything you got. But uh, I went up. That was a Silver Skull. Yes. And uh, this is like two brothers. And they just get up there and they, they wail on some death metal. And, um, you know, I totally I, I understand your perspective, though, on the whole death metal thing where we were standing out there and you're like, you know, I love the music. I appreciate the music. I think it's really cool. But the, the vocals are kind of where you got a problem. You know, you, it's, you know, the whole death metal voice thing going on. See, for me, what it's always been, though, with death metal is back in the 80s. When I first heard Death, I bought the album Scream Bloody Gore. Mm. And I was like blown away by it. I was like, this is just incredible, you know, like, you know, just amazing songs like Evil Dead and Zombie Rituals and things like that. And then, you know, fast forward to maybe, what, 10 years ago, and I start hearing other bands coming out like, oh, wow, does Death have a new album out? And no, that's not Death. Oh. And then I hear another band, oh, wow, does Death have another album out? No, idiot. It's this <laughs> band. I'm like, oh, it's funny. It all sounds the same. Yeah. But then again, I'm nobody to talk because I'm a big fan of, you know, 80s hardcore punk and stuff like that, which, you know, let's face it, that pretty much sounds the same, too. So, no, it's all good. And I, I totally understand where you're going, man. And you had to kind of feel at home with yeah. the other opening act they had. Oh, dude. All they the way had... from Pittsburgh? Yes. Yeah. Was that. Uh... Oh. What the, I, I, Wasn't it uh, the cheats? The cheats, yes. yes. Oh, dude, I can't wait. I, I've been following them ever since then. And, and that is, you know, you know what band that band really reminded me of? Do you remember a band from the mid '80s called Murphy's Law? I remember the name, but nothing comes to it. They are like one of those, you know. Let's just go out with our buddies and get some beer, get drunk, you know, smoke some weed, whatever. The band really reminded me a lot of that. That's cool because I saw like uh, the the singer and some of the other uh, members of the Cheats hanging out right stage side when uh, Graves went on. And yeah. So they they were totally there and they were cheering them on and just hanging out and of course drinking some more. Well, you couldn't miss the lead singer. I mean, Jesus, what was he like three hundred fifty pounds? Oh, he was a big yeah. dude. <laughs> I love that guy, dude. He had he had so many great lines just up there. He was just talking and just, uh, but 
the whole band they were they were so tight. I mean, he could go off for however long, and he'd be like one, two, three, four, boom, yeah. and the band would be on. You know, and, it's kind of like the, the Ramones. You know, yeah, exactly. And the dude can sing too, man. He had yeah. some pretty good pipes. Yeah, yeah. Word. It, so that it was, it was like kind of like a Captain Lou Albano. You know, came yes. back and started singing for a oh. band. So it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is a great, great analogy for that singer. He is totally Captain Lou. Well, dude, it was it was great hanging out with you and Tara. It was uh, had a blast, literally. Man, as we all tonight, dude. You have uh, brought up a great, great movie that we're going to talk about, um, and it, it's a sequel of a sequel. Wow. The only way I can describe this film is is to say, like, what does a priest? Sir Galahad and a very attractive woman in a wedding dress with a chainsaw have in common. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, let us talk about the very anticipated film, Rec 3, Genesis. Uh, Has there been another movie that you have been waiting for for such a long time? I mean, the last one that I could think of was The Dead, because I've been following that film since, like, 2009. And this is definitely the most anticipated film that I can think of in the last few years. As far as a sequel goes, um, this excitement level is only matched by, I think, Land of the Dead. Yes. That was, like, Romero's return to the zombie thing. and Right. But uh, this, dude, for me, I loved Wreck. And I loved Wreck 2. Now, you have never spoken officially about Wreck or Wreck 2 on this show. So before we get into Wreck 3, I would love to hear uh, just a, you know your, your quick, your whole take on the first two Wreck movies. What do you think of them? Well, actually, you were the person who actually recommended it to me back in, I believe it was late 2007. And I believe you were still oh, doing wow. that podcast. And it was right, I believe it was like right after you stopped doing the show. And we met up at Cinema Wasteland and you were telling me, he's like, hey, have you seen Wreck? And I'm like, no. And you're like, do you see Quarantine? I was like, yeah, it was okay. And you said, dude, just do yourself a favor, go and watch Wreck. I said, mm-hmm. okay. So I did just that, and you know me being the sucker for found footage that I am, I immediately went home, checked it out, and proceeded to get the living shit scared out of me, because to me that movie was terrifying. Yes, I, it's, it's one of the scariest films that I have seen since the first fifteen minutes of Dawn of the Dead two thousand four. Wow, I mean. Anything that has whatever you want to call them, you know, infected, possessed, whatever, kids in it, and they're crawling through ductwork, and you have nothing but night vision cameras, yeah, that's going to scare the limb piss out of me. And man, did it work. And as if the first movie wasn't good enough, you know, and what really worked for it for me was the fact that they were in one place, Hmm. and it was a big enough place. It was an apartment building. It works on, like, every single level for a found footage film because mm. it doesn't always have to stay in one small location like say 
paranormal activity did. You know, it was just a one house and it was mostly either the living room or the bedroom. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, we got to branch off into different rooms and everything else. And then, as if Wreck wasn't good enough, here comes Wreck 2. And Wreck 2, I could I dare say that the sequel may have been better than the original? Wow. How awful. How how often does that ever happen? I mean, Man. seriously. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, I, I got a question for you, though. And this is why I've always referred to you as, you know, the Dean of the Dead. Because if anybody knows <laughs> what a zombie is, you do. So how would you classify these creatures? Would you say they're uh, inf possessed, infected? Because it all goes through the blood still, right? Yeah, I, I actually equate them closely to uh, Argento's demons. Um, because you have the whole spiritual element going on here. You know, they are not necessarily brought back from the dead, you right. know? Um, so it, it's really tough for me because, you know, the, the, the zombie thing just, it ties my head in knots, man, because there, there's so many things going on, but, uh, I don't know. I think they are zombies, okay. even though they don't die. They, they eat flesh, they come back. I mean, they're very dead like they're shambling. They're not, you know, they're very imperfect, you know, impersonations of and they us. They do that classic, what I like to refer to as the twitch walk. Yes, especially in part three. Yes. Because there's so much shambling in part three. And I, I just got to bring this out right now because we'll, we'll go into the part three, even though I asked you about the first two and, uh, and everything, but uh, you can't help going into part three. It's very, very different. Of you know, especially first off, you are not in the apartment building. No, you're you're in a completely different setting. You're at a wedding before anything ever happens. And the the wild thing about it is the location that they're at. It's perfect. It's isolated. Mm -hmm. Okay, they had to be transported by bus from where the wedding was all the way to where the reception is going to be. So you have your isolation, which is first and foremost, the perfect place for a found footage film, just like, you know, your classic films, such as like Blair Witch and things like that. So, you know, they, they keep up with that right there. And then this place is so huge where they go for the reception is so big. They, it has its own control center. Yes. And that's what kind of really threw me back. And there's a really cool part with that, but I'm sure we will get to that. Well, first of all, it was uh, directed by Paco Plaza, who was one half of the directors of Wreck and Wreck 2. Right. Of course, the other half being Jaime Balaguero. And, uh, but Paco has gone and done the sequel to, uh, Wreck 2. Um, and this is very, very interesting. <sighs> Damn, so many ways, so many ways. Um, we get into this wedding and we see the beauty of a wedding, you know, the, uh, the hopefulness and, and everything that goes into the wedding and uh, it's kind of invaded 
by these zombies at the reception. And that's the funny thing about this, too, is it really, if you sit back and think about it, it really is a love story. Yes. But it's a love story that actually works. And uh, the only thing is, is the love story kind of gets thrown off with the massive amounts of gore that is displayed here. <laughs> I couldn't believe where they took this. Well, let's start off and talking about where we begin in this film, because it, it actually starts off like a cheesy wedding DVD. And you have a cheesy little menu and you click on it and it goes to this little slideshow and uh, it, it's it's really funny. And then we kind of all of a sudden go into a found footage sort of uh, atmosphere. It's uh, one of the I think it's the cousin of the groom. And he's yeah, talking, uh, I think his name was the lead guy's name is uh, Coldo. I think yeah, his Coldo name was... is the groom. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was either his brother or cousin. And it was like he got a new DVD cam and was showing it off and that. And, With megapixels. And... Yes, it has megapixels. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. But he uh, he meets up with the official hired wedding videographer who has like this like fancy steady cam and everything. And that thing and... was awesome. The way it swayed back and forth and you could oh, barely tell. It, it looks great. But I love how th- that video guy makes the remark that if you don't use a steady cam, you know, while you shoot and you just use the camera on your shoulder, then the footage is unwatchable. Yeah. And I took that as a play. And this movie actually has a lot of them. But I took that that line as a play on like other found footage films and even like the wreck films where all these movies are made by cameras that are basically shot handheld on your shoulder or whatever. And uh, they, you know, they're so unwatchable from like a, a film appreciator standpoint. And I thought that was that was like actually really ironic. And maybe, you know, Plaza did that on purpose. Did you catch that? I, I was just going to say, I think you're right, because it was funny how the well, the professional cameraman in a kind of humorous way tries to take you know, the kid under his wing a little bit, you know, hey, do this, you know, you do that, and you're doing just fine, you know. But at the same sense, he's almost like laughing at him, like as to say, you're going to use that and you think that you're going to get anything out of this. Good luck with you. Right. right. But I love the cameraman, though. I, I thought his role was like brilliant in this. Yes, that was Atune. He Atune, was... that's it, yeah. Yeah. Just he played a great role in this film, and he did uh, yeah. I yeah. still have to say though that one of my favorite roles though has to be the crazy uncle. Yes, that actually gets Ugh. bit right before you know the wedding and all that. Because what we have, and as as I did a little bit of research on this film, I found out that the dog that bit the one person that got everything started in wreck also bit him. Oh, so, man. and then basically, I don't know if he was, was he at like a veterinary clinic or something before the wedding? I'm not sure. He, it was introduced as part of like the pre ceremony kind of things going on. Yeah. Everybody when was showing saying, hey, up. Good luck. 
you know. Yeah, and they just kind of did because he was, he kind of came up and they were like, oh, good to see you, Uncle. He's like, oh, what happened to your hand? And he's like, oh, there was this dog and we thought he was dead. And then he, he just all of a sudden sprung up and he bit me on the hand. And wow, yeah. that was weird. And so we just kind of imply a lot of his story. So, But what really creeped me out, though, is no matter what, every time the young kid who is trying to be the filmographer, every time he's like panning the crowd of people, somehow it always managed to go right back to his uncle's hand. Yes. And you could see it getting more and more bloody as, you know, the reception was starting to go on. Yeah, and that that, that shot of the weird woman in the alleyway. Yes. Did you notice that? They kinda, yes, I did. They kind of focused on her for like two seconds and then they came back to that shot of the uncle or whatever else. But it's like the whole first part of this movie is very normal except for some some crazy weird shots that just happened for like two seconds like we talk about. What was really starting to creep me out, though, was the expressions that the uncle was giving because he had Mm -hmm. like this psychotic smile about him. Oh, dude, especially as the night goes on, we go into the reception and they think that they're they're He's just really drunk and he's puking on the steps and he just gives these looks where he is slowly changing. Then he finally gets up to the balcony and he's sitting on the rail. Yes. And they're begging him to come down and he's just waving to him and he's got that damn psychotic smile, like almost Jack Nicholson, like from The Shining. Yes. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just like pushes himself off the the rail and goes through a glass table. <laughs> all hell breaks loose from that point in time. And how weird is it? That is almost the 20 minute mark in this film where we get any titles because he, he, he falls off the balcony like the whole zombie thing happens. And then we get like wreck three. yeah on the screen so that i i've never seen the titles go up on the screen as as late as this one did yeah i know yeah you're right i think it was around the 20 some minute mark we have you know the very first well gore scene i guess you could call it where was it his wife that comes to check on him yeah yeah and, you know, there's a, somebody else there's checking to make sure he breathes, and he just jumps up and takes a big chunk out of her neck. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right during the, the whole reception celebration, you know, everyone's really happy. Everyone is extremely happy, you know, during this whole thing, which I think helps to accentuate the whole violence and, and zombie thing going on. Cause, and the horror of what is to come. <laughs> yes, yes, because what, I mean, can you think of happier circumstances than of a wedding you know where there there are two people being joined together and the whole families you know coming together and just the whole celebration going on at a wedding reception it's it's brilliant i really have to give credit to the uh actress um what was her name was it claire oh i don't know i'm sorry but the the names i just couldn't keep up with because there were yeah. so many different people that they focused on but oh uh, yeah yeah clara was uh was the bride yes and she and was awesome i've got to say you know i don't really say this very often about an actress because you know, let's face it in film nowadays it's plastic 
nine out of ten. Yeah. You know, they're they're just half plastic. Right. But this is a very attractive woman. She had the most beautiful eyes I have ever seen in my life. Yes. Yes. And it's but once she becomes the heroin badass, if you will, her eyes go from being just drop dead gorgeous to holy shit, that woman could kick my ass. <laughs> yes. I mean when she goes from bride to like chainsaw bride. Yeah, when she becomes like well, Ash, I guess, would be a oh, yeah. good way to, you know. But she plays such a good badass in this. Mm. And this is why I, I'd really say that this is also, you know, a, a love story. Because, you know, during the chaos, when, like I mentioned before, when the waiters are now infected and there's people, like, jumping through windows and people are just being randomly attacked from, like, nowhere... That her and Coldo, who is her new husband, they kind of get separated. And, you know, people just rush this person off this way and that person off this way to safety. I don't know, man, but it's like a light switch goes off in her head. Like, there is nothing that is going to keep me away from my husband. And this, yeah. we will get back together. This is absolutely a love story and it's kind of like an adventure tale. More so than a zombie movie. Because we do have a lot of... Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of zombie shit that goes on oh, in yeah. this film. I mean, so much violence, a lot of zombies. But overarching, all of that is, um, you know, this groom's drive to reunite with his bride. And they have this kind of psychic connection going on. This, this whole That's mental exactly thing. what it seemed like. Yeah, yeah. And that is what is driving this film, because you are you are seeing the groom's need and his 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 drive right. to reunite with the girl that he just married and the bride, of course, over here, you know, needing to meet up with her groom and sensing the groom, and we see that so many times throughout the film, and a lot of times this whole sensing thing between the two is expressed and I did not find that unreal. I did not like kind of say, Oh, that's kind of cheesy. Oh, that's dumb. Like, you know, they don't have the psychic, you know, what's going on. So did you believe this whole like psychic connection? Um, I actually did. And I don't mean to laugh here, but I, I have to admit I was almost rolling on the floor. All right. Now at every wedding, we always know no matter how elegant and you know nice it is there's always kids that are going to run around and drive people nuts right right so what do we do we get someone to dress up as someone in the pop culture icon status right oh man but what happens when uh there's copyright problems with the character well we're going to get what was it Sponge John Round Pants. Sponge pan. John, yes. <laughs> and the guy was just so geeky, but that's another role that I just loved. Oh, yeah, dude, dude, there were like two of them, actually. It was Sponge John, and then it was the royalties guy. Yes, the royalties guy. Yeah. But the great thing about Sponge John is he went on that little spiel about the copyright on SpongeBob and how much 
bullshit it was and everything. And I just really found that funny. But it didn't matter because the kids really gravitated to him. So, you know, it kept the kids at bay for a while until, of course, all hell breaks loose. But I just found that really funny that they would throw something like, like that in there. I thought that was ingenious. That was. That was. I loved it. And um, the whole commentary, I think, about um, royalties and, and the industry in general, just, you know, gravitating yeah. around Sponge John and the royalties guy. I mean, do you think, I mean, how many weddings are there out there where there are people who are lurking and uh, keeping track of what the DJs are playing and, yeah, I know. and things like that. I mean, th- this whole movie like played on that and he was kind of the creepy weird guy that was just kind of there and nobody knew who he was, but uh, you know, that, that's weird. This is a, a Spanish film, you know, it's happening over, the, you know, in Europe and we seem to, you know, uh, concentrate on those kind of things over here in the States, because there's a lot of censorship going on, a lot of copyright debate going on about who owns the copyrights to things and how can you use them. But here we have a, a European film really going head to head with this issue. I don't know. Was that a big deal to you? At that point, when he really started getting into it, I was I was in hook, line and sinker. I mean, I was really starting to question. I was like, Wow, you know, now that I think about that, I wonder if he's really right about that. And it was, it was, um, I don't want to say like mind expanding or anything like that, but it was like a really great little bit of like trivia or something to throw into a film like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we go on, this goes from found footage to very cinematic quality. You know, it, it it switches gears just about halfway through, and and uh, pretty much, I mean, after you see that 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 first title sequence about twenty minutes in, we go from a found footage sort of film to a very cinematically traditional shot film. Yeah, it seems and, that once the the young kid's camera falls to the ground and shatters, that's it. Found footage done. Right. Right. And, and we don't go back to it at all. Oh, yeah. Dude, now I have, I've had some problems in films that have done this. Notably, most notably, uh, The Zombie Diaries 2, um, which was very disappointing, but they, <clears throat> they mixed it in, and it was very awkward. And what did you think? I mean, did it work? Making that transition. I mean, the first, the first, uh, you know, half of the movie, third of the movie, whatever. You saw was, found footage. Did you believe it? Was it? What did you think? I believe it was thirty-one minutes and twenty-two seconds in, where the camera finally breaks. Oh wow! And that's it. And I'll be honest at first, because I was a, uh, I was actually talking back and forth with our good buddy from across the pond, Johnny T. Yeah. And. You know, I asked, I just asked him, I'm like, dude, I haven't seen it yet, so just tell me yes or no. Is it a good film? And all he said was, there's one thing about it that's disappointing. I'm not going to tell you, but all in all, it kicked ass. So I think I know exactly what he's talking about. Hmm. Now, it took me a good, 
I'm going to say 10, 15 minutes to get on board with the fact that, okay, rec is no longer found footage. It is now just a regular straight up film. But once the, uh, the survivalists start killing the, you know, zombies infected, whatever you want to call them, I can start to understand why, because this is what I thought was great. You know how you were mentioning, uh, royalties and everything well this kind of it became very reminiscent of films from the 80s for me gore wise anyway such as uh dead alive or brain dead and bad taste just crazy insane gore for the sake of gore you know right and it it just worked it really after like i'd say the first two or three kills i didn't even care and was it me or the one scene where Coldo comes out with his little outfit on? Was that not kind of reminiscent of Troll Hunter? Wow. That was the first thing I thought Dude. of. Wow. I never thought of that. I mean, I'm sure everyone has seen Troll Hunter by now. Yes. There's a scene where he comes on the bridge and he's got this metal armor on. Well, Coldo and I believe it was one of his best friends that was like an usher or yeah, he was something in the, like that. the party, yes. He was a little overweight. Well, they find these two suits of armor and they St. go and George's. put them on. Yeah. Yeah, St. George's, that's it. <laughs> and they go and put them on. And they're walking around like Knights of the Round Table or something. And oh, yeah. the first thing I thought of, I was like, oh, look, it's Troll Hunter. <laughs> And it, there is a little bit of dark comedy in this. Yes. Although it is very, very dark, there is a little bit of it. So, I mean, it, it's not like that's going to sit there and just constantly scare you like, say, Wreck 1 or Wreck 2 would. This one's almost like a roller coaster ride. When, it, when you're going down, you are just flying. And then you get up to that one hill, and it's going to slow the pace a little bit, and it's going to throw a joke or a funny one-liner in there. And it seems like almost immediately thereafter, you're going right down the hill again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so different from the first two films, although it still like holds true to the sort of mythology or whatever that uh, they were going for in the first right. two films. Uh, because we see the whole religious thing come into play, although they don't push it too far. You know, they still, I think story is is much more key here to, you know, background religious stuff. Right, going and on. I was just going to say that also, the fact that they really didn't push the religious lines on it, I thought that was great. Right. I mean, I'll be honest, I am not the world's most religious person in the world. I mean, nobody really wants their religion spoon-fed to them anyway. So to make religion an important aspect of the zombies themselves but at the same time not sit there and try and wash you clean with it you know right. that that really meant a lot right and they did it i mean they brought in some of those like weird things that we saw from the first two wreck films you know those those weird demonic 
kind of lurching. What the hell were those things? Especially we saw in, in Wreck 2. I have no but idea. Very, but... but we saw them in like flashes, like very quick, yeah. quick scenes. And uh, they were demonic, supposedly. And and the, the priest, he kind of tried to explain this thing in, in terms of like, the rebel angels and being held in darkness and the Lord and whatever, but it was very fragmented. I mean, right. you, you know, you didn't really get a full picture of what was going on, which was cool. Um, but, but still, you know, these, these whole flashes of, of these weird lurching kind of wrinkled up things. And we, we got a taste for the same things that we saw in the first two wreck films. But again, it was very different. And I'll tell you what, these zombies, and I will call them zombies in wreck three, because pretty much every zombie that we saw in wreck three was shambling. They were very slow. You know, they were very just like real jerky. And, uh, in the first two wreck films, they were, I thought much faster. And uh, in these, we saw some, you know, Wreck 3, we saw some, a few faster zombies. But for the most part, they were very slow, which I loved. Yeah, it seemed like <clears throat> at, one, at one scene, they, uh, the priest starts reading quotes from the scriptures yes. of the Bible. And all of a sudden, they start doing that, what I like to refer to as the twitch walk. <laughs> And they're yeah. slowing, they're slowing down and slowing down. And at one point, it's like, wow, this could have been like a remake of Night of Living Dead the way it should have been. Right. Like when they're outside, and all of a sudden they all just stop, and you know they've got like blood and drool coming down their mouth, and it's almost like they were hypnotized. Right. And it, it was it was wild. But there was one scene I wanted to see if you noticed it when Coldo gets into the control center of the mansion or whatever it was, did you notice in the background they were showing the uh, police footage from the original wreck? Yes. On one Uh, of the video screens? So that tells you right then, at the same time that Wreck 3 is happening, it has nothing to do with Wreck 2, but it's going on the exact identical time that the very first wreck was taking place. So while they're, you know basically putting the wraps around the apartment complex. All, all this is going on at the wedding. So it's a separate location, which to me, it, it's, it's a genius idea. What a great way to be able to go off into another direction while keeping the same sense of your original idea of the film. Yes, yes. And thank you. Thank you for that, because this all is happening during the same exact time that Wreck and Wreck 2 are happening. And even as we get to the end of this film and we see this whole complex or estate where the wedding and reception has been going on and it is it has been quarantined. You know, we see the old plastic sheets and everything wrapped around this whole uh, area, wherever they are. And so we we basically have been, you know, in the same kind of thing as the apartment complex, this whole movie, because they've they've quarantined it off. Now, see, the only thing I was wondering is how 
widespread is this disease or whatever it is because the police do show up as if oh they yeah know what's going on and the hazmat guys too i mean yes, those, those exactly. guys in suits they're there like at the beginning of the reception so i was just wondering out. if this yeah. is like citywide or you know you know countrywide or what because they show up at like what was it like maybe like 36 or 37 minutes into it i think Oh, it was it was well before that that first title that I was talking about comes up, and which was at twenty minutes, and so they were outside. That that um, the guy who was related to the groom was just outside hanging out with uh, the smokers, and he just kind of zoomed in on on these guys with the hazmat suits, and he's like, "What are they doing here?" You know, and and then the uncle shows up and he's like, oh, I just got it. He's so drunk. He's thrown up, you know, ha ha. But uh, then that was all before the 20 minute mark, though. And then, of course, it it seems like right at that point is when all hell really starts to break loose. Yes. Yes. And oh, man, there are some fantastic gore scenes in this. And even if what we've just talked about being a love story in that doesn't sell you, and if you're a true gore hound, the last, what, like 25, 26 minutes of this film is just incredible. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Gore beyond gore. It's brilliant. I loved it. I loved it. Man, it's... (laughs) Um, The bride actually finds a chainsaw. They somehow manage to go under this complex, and they are underground. And she just so happens to come across a chainsaw in this big log, and she tears her dress apart and just gets all Rambo with this thing. It is just unbelievable, some of the things she knows how to do with a chainsaw. Oh, yeah, dude. And I'll tell you what, to start a chainsaw, to pull this cord over, and over and over again to get one of these sons of bitches started. It, you know, that's no small feat of strength right there. I mean, to pull this thing, you know, that's that over and over, man. That's tough. And this girl, this bride, Clara, man, she just pulls this thing until she gets it started to where it needs to start. And uh, the first thing that she does with this chainsaw is she splits the girl's head in half. That and, was an uh, amazing, an yes. amazing scene right there. Wow. All of the, the, the chainsaw effects. She splits her head in half. She disembowels uh, the next guy. Um, she, she cuts a person in half. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, she rams the chainsaw into his belly and he's still kind of coming and she just kind of works it up until she splits you know, the whole upper part of his body, including his head. And I mean, it, it it's brilliant. And it was a, the, a, the effects in that. I would love to know who the special effects are. As yes. Well, because you could tell it was not CGI. You could tell that it was practical because the body, right when she gets it halfway through, is still walking towards her. And, you know, the arms are out. And all of a sudden you just see that split. And then finally it just falls in half. And it's funny because it's like another dark humor moment. And the priest is looking at her like, 
man, girl, you are one badass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And it splashes on her. You know, all the blood is just going all over the place. And it splashes on her. And then as her makeup starts to smear. Yes. She reminds me of that one girl from uh, Planet Terror. Oh, yeah, yeah, Rose. Rose, Rose McGowan. thank you. Yeah. Rose McGowan, yeah. Yeah. So that oh, was yeah, dude. Yeah. She's got like the black makeup around her eyes and that. And... Oh, totally. It's like, you know, it, it's again, that great kind of comparison between the most beautiful day of my life, which yep. is my wedding day, and the most terrible day of my life, which is <laughs> the zombie apocalypse, which, you know, again, I'm thinking through all this, you know, I, again, I've been to a lot of, of weddings and I've celebrated and I'm like, what? more terrifying and unfortunate situation could there be when the zombie apocalypse occurs while you're at a wedding reception because right. you were there to celebrate somebody that is your friend that you love getting married and you're pretty much like pissed drunk right you know you're you're pretty hammered and so how are you expected to deal with with the zombies while you're like you know, you're pretty inebriated. It's and, like celebrating life only to immediately thereafter have to deal with death. Yeah, it, it, it's perfect for a film. And I, I just damn. I mean, I, I, I keep wanting to go with this film more and more and more and tell people about the kills and everything. But it, I don't want to spoil it. And the no, ending is, is so good. Oh, I mean, I, I honestly did not see that coming at all. Okay, at I, I'm going to admit something right now, and I've, I've made a lot of admissions during this, but the one that is very major is I was very, very sad during the very ending sequences of this film where I well, was just very sad during say... those last scenes that involved our bride and groom and certain, you know, people of law enforcement. Well, at the end, <clears throat> let's just say towards the end of the film, the bride and groom do get back together. Mm -hmm. And then things get, if, if they haven't gotten crazy enough, they get full blown insane. Yes. And Wow, how can we put this? <clears throat> it's almost like they're grasping on to the last little strands of sanity that they have left with everything they've been through. And what's really sad, and I, I found this actually really, really sad, is the fact that they went through so much to find each other, and then they finally do. And just when you think, okay, well, they're going to get out of here now and that's going to be the end. No. No, it still goes on. I mean, yes. these things are relentless. Yeah. And they drew it out so long. They did. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. And I, I was just, I was really, really sad at the end of this film. You know, um, usually, I think, I think I can honestly say this is one of the few like zombie or zombie related films that 
I can honestly say I wanted there to be some survivors at the end. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was just, I was, I was actually sitting there to myself. It's like, man, I can't believe I'm actually rooting for these people. <laughs> you know, usually yeah. I want to, you know, I'm so, well, especially us as zombie fans, we've been so desensitized and everything that no matter how great a survivor is, we're just waiting for that death scene. Right. Right. But it's, uh, it's un, un, it's crazy, man. It is just so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, dude, I could not believe what I saw at the end of this film. So wreck three, I mean, dude, this, uh, we got a special like sneak preview of this film and this does not come out in the States for a, you know a couple weeks yeah we got a couple now. more weeks still it comes out on demand i believe it's like august 5th or something like that well dude should people pay money to see this um, um i will say this right now if it comes to my local theater i am definitely gonna go see this yes oh dude dude this is so satisfying to me i mean it, a horror sequel i just have biases you know, I I just I don't know. I I just feel they should be of lower quality to anything that I've seen up until now. But Plaza has maintained that quality. You know, especially Wreck Wreck Two, great great films, and Wreck Three, dude, another great film. Not only can Plaza do great things in the found footage genre, but he can he can really do a great traditional film in the traditionally shot kind of thing that we saw now you know right. i mean it, the switch does not bother me because it makes sense in the story and he does both so well and i have to applaud him for that um, it, it may bother some people fuck but em. i think for the yeah. most part i think people are going to be generally happy because let's face it the people that like you and i know they're not very, very big fans of found footage. Yeah. And even though a lot of them do like Wreck, I think a lot of them are going to be happy with the fact that the found footage kind of just shuts itself off. Right. Not even midway through. So, yeah, I think that would be a bonus. Yeah, it makes sense where it kind of makes that switch because you go from the, you know, kind of reception goer relative kind of shooter to the zombie thing happening where you're not going to be shooting as much. And right. you're, you're just going to be trying to do, like save your ass at this point. And it makes sense. And I think Plaza has a sensibility toward that. And uh, it's awesome. So, yeah. yeah. Want to rate it? Oh, dude. I haven't even thought of a, a damn rating up until now. Um, okay, you go first. Oh, man. first out of 10. I, I don't know what you gave uh, Rec 2 if you gave it anything. Rec 2, <clears throat> I would give Rec 2 probably an eight and a half. All right. All right. What's um, Rec 3? Man, I'm teetering on an eight, eight and a half because I really do think that it's right up there with part two. But the quality of the film itself is yeah. just incredible. Yeah. Uh, oh, dude, it's definitely for me a must see. I, I don't know. It's, 
if you are expecting like another apartment building kind of continuation of Rec Two and Looking seeing elsewhere. that whole thing, yeah, that's not what it is, and I'd love it because you're seeing another snapshot into this universe that they've created, and uh, I love it. I totally love it. And again, because I, you know, I, I, I've been to a lot of weddings. And, uh, you know, maybe that uh, has something to do with it. But I, I don't know, man. Um, uh, yeah, eight, eight and a half. Uh, I don't know, something like that. But, but yeah, definitely. I think this is making for a great, great franchise. I mean, man, have we seen, I mean, rec- we've seen three films. They're definitely making a fourth. And who knows? after that but dude i mean what better franchises out there especially after like a third and fourth film have we seen i mean dude there's only really one other franchise that i can think of that has done this many films and that would be paranormal activity ah yes yes i mean can you really think of any other franchises besides that have gone like found footage wise anyway three films yeah, found footage, man. It's really, really tough. But this one, again, has kind of been a hybrid in between the found footage and traditional style <clears throat> film thing. Um, so, I don't know. I think, are they going to kind of explore that technique further in the fourth one? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I was just wondering myself, where could it possibly go with the fourth film? Well, I, I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to play on the sort of thing that they did with the third one and that it's a snapshot in a scenario that maybe we haven't, you know, I don't know, we haven't seen before because a wedding, you know, a zombie apocalypse during a wedding is like, I've never seen that before. Well, I have seen that. There was a Turkish one out before that sucked, uh, whatever that film was. But we haven't seen a good, a really good, like, zombie wedding before. So, I don't know. Where else can we have this whole kind of viral sort of religious thing go on? I don't know. And here's an even bigger question. Will Rec 4 even be a found footage film? Right. They they have proved themselves, I think, so well in both uh, sub-genres. You know, right. of course, Paco, man, he can do anything in either genre. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's uh, totally... I think the only way to find out is you're going to have to hunt him down and get him on the electric chair. Dude, dude, <laughs> I'm totally there. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm all about that. And, and uh, thank you. I mean, Misfit, boy, man... Man, you've uh, you've been there for a long time and on the electric chair, man. And I'm gonna be there a lot longer, so no. I appreciate it, but... <laughs> dude. Dude, you're welcome on whenever. So of course you were a, a regular, a weekly on uh, a, a Little Dead podcast. Absolutely, yeah. I'm which still I'm doing loving. my little thing there with my yes. Walking Dead segments. You're awesome. Walking thing. with the yes. dead. Still enjoying that and. Uh, if anybody's interested in about, I'd say, by the end of August, I should be releasing my show. I have my co-host, and 
unfortunately right now he is in the process of moving from Ohio to Atlanta. So I'm just trying to give him some time to go through the moving process and we know how much of a pain that can be. So I figure I'll give him a couple weeks and once he gets settled in while he's down there in Atlanta, you know, disposing of some walkers, hopefully, then the first episode is going to be out. I can't wait. And we've got a name for the show, finally. It's going to be called B-Movie Holocaust. And yes. we'll be ready to rock and roll with it. I love it. Well, dude, I am there, man. And uh, you know, please, please, let me know whenever that gets uh, going. Because I can't me, wait. When I have a really good zombie movie to do, I will be yes. sure to be call you and say, Hey, Corey, come on on. <laughs> yes. Well, well, thank you. Well, well, dude, Misfit Boy, again, it's been a great time talking with you tonight about uh, such a great, great film. And, uh, man, anytime, anytime at all that you want to come on, of course, it's all good. And uh, I hope to uh, maybe contribute to your efforts at one point. Absolutely. So. It's always my pleasure, man. All right, bro. All right, brother. Thanks right. a lot, man. Later on. Take care. I say every house in America should have an electric chair. And every man just once in his life should sit in it. Just so that he can feel the power of millions of gallons of electricity flow through his veins. I got an electric chair. That's all I need. You get an electric chair, Sheldon. You don't have to worry about the audience. You get an electric chair, you can tell them anything you want. As long as it's real. You get yourself an electric chair and it'll sit there all night long. Kind of a funny idea, sitting in an electric chair and doing a show. Well, think of the therapeutic value of an electric chair and all the money it is. Yes, sir, an electric chair in every home. The Electric Chair, a show about horror. Electricchairshow.com Electric Chair. Oh, there we go. Great show. Lots of fun. Thank you again for listening. I had much fun talking with Brian Wolford, of course, drunkenzombie.com, brianwolford.net, just like he said. I'm just going to repeat it. Um, and also, Misfit Boy, great, great stuff. Uh, thank you for coming on the show this week, guys. Next week, have another show. It's going to be really fantastic. And like I said, hopefully you're going to have another video episode out. So uh, stay tuned and see what happens. If the video does come out, I usually try to do it at the same time on like Sundays, you know, right, right when this launches. So yeah, but uh, you know, again, I, I appreciate everything. The, the voicemail line 206-337-5096. Of course, electricchairshow.com is the website and you can leave me messages and send me MP3s through the contact page there and find all of the back episodes and all the goodness as well as my Twitter and Facebook nonsense and uh, whatever, you know. Uh, MidnightCory.com is my other website. Uh, a lot of websites. And more are coming. More are coming. Something else is in the works here, believe it or not. Because <laughs> I just am determined to, like, never sleep. <laughs> what can you do? Okay, this has gone on long enough. Thank you for listening. I'll uh, talk with you again next week. Mm-hmm.